from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow. Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can help women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm Laura Zarrow, Senior Director of Wharton People Analytics and your host for today's show on feedback, how we give it, how we get feedback, and how we can learn not just to survive it, but actually thrive as a result of it. Today's guest, Sheila Heen, is the author of Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well even when it's off-base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you are not in the mood. I just love that title. Um, Sheila's a longstanding lecturer at Harvard Law School and has spent more than 20 years with the Harvard Negotiation Project actually developing negotiation theory and practice. She specializes in challenging negotiations in which emotions run high, relationships become strained, whether it's with your boss, your client, your peers, or your parents, because at the heart of it, communication is hard enough, never mind when feedback is involved. Our phones are open. You can reach us at one 844 Wharton. That's 1-844-942-7866. If you'd like to get Sheila's expert advice on how to receive or give feedback, well, give us a call. We'd really love to hear from you. That's 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can also write to us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. It'll come into Patty, who's in the booth, and then, you know, we'll take it on the air that way because we'd really love to have you join in and know what are you struggling with? Where has feedback been hard for you to embrace? to understand or to put to good use in your life. So Sheila Heen, I'm a huge fan. Uh, Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most was her first New York Times bestseller. Um, Then she put out Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback. Well, and I have to tell you, both of these books are illuminating. They make me look back and understand conflicts I've had in different parts of my life in a whole new way. Sheila is also kind, funny, and an amazing resource for those of us who are either struggling to process feedback or eager to get more of it. So with that, I'd like to say, Sheila, welcome back to Women at Work. I am so delighted to be here. (laughs) I'm so glad. Um, So Sheila, this term feedback is as as a result of reading your book, I now see it's more complicated um, than we usually think it is. Can you define what what feedback is? What forms does it come in? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, well, first of all, we should probably say nobody <laughs> likes the word feedback to begin with. <laughs> I just start so, twitching when I hear it. I know. Well, and people are like turning their radio dials right now. So. Um, <laughs> So what we really mean when we're talking about feedback is not just performance reviews or appraisals and ratings, which is what we all think about. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, we're talking about all of the information available to you in the world, spoken and unspoken, formal and informal, direct and indirect, that, that signal to you the impact that you're having on other people and on the world. So it's kind of my relationship with the world and the world's relationship with me. Just a little thing like that. Just a little thing like that, right? And and part of what's hard about feedback is often it is very indirect or unspoken, and we're trying to figure out whether this is feedback or not. In other words, I haven't gotten a response to my email, or they didn't call me back. Like, is that feedback, or are they just busy? And, so, and it really is feedback. There's information it, in it. 
Yeah, there's information in it, and then the question is, what do you make of that information? Um, so, and and it's in every relationship we have. You know, some of the most direct truth tellers, uh, at least in their own minds, are our teenagers, who <laughs> tell us in no uncertain terms the many ways in which we are embarrassing and, you know. Uh, fall short of expectations in their minds. You apparently um, were at my dinner table last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was at my own dinner table last night. So, um, so you know, it, this is our professional lives, our personal lives, and and by the way, our relationship with ourselves as well. The ways in which we're upset with ourselves and have feedback for ourselves about the ways in which we have let ourselves down, maybe. So that's that's the first thing. Is it's kind of a much bigger topic and also a more interesting and nuanced topic than um, it seems at first blush. Absolutely. When I picked up the book, um, I expected it to talk about criticism. And I think, you know, I went to art school. I have a deep background in how you produce work, invite criticism about the work, put it to use, and move on. Um, Yet when I hear the idea of I'm going to give you some feedback about something, it's one thing if it's about my work. It's another thing if it's about me. And I think that's where it becomes scary and painful. And it's something that you really talk about at great length in the book, that issue of how is it, what's the difference in when we're getting feedback about ourselves versus the work that we do? Yeah. And sometimes those are really hard to pull apart. Um, You know, I think part of what's hard about the, this so-called gift of feedback that we know we're supposed to be grateful for um, <laughs> is is that we have very conflicting feelings about it and, and really varying experiences with it. There are some times where someone makes a suggestion or, or um, gives us feedback that we're genuinely grateful for in the moment. And when you go to a coach to learn something new, mm-hmm. it's actually exhilarating. It's fun. Um, and that's partly because feedback is sitting right at the junction of these kind of core human needs, because we're actually wired to learn and grow, um, to learn new things. We take up new hobbies in retirement. We get addicted to these video games because <laughs> getting a, a higher score is somehow rewarding, right? Right. It's, it's, it's a dopamine hit. It's, and so on the one hand, we have the experience of being genuinely grateful for feedback, but the problem is we bump up against the second human need, which is that we really want to be accepted and respected and loved the way that we are now. And feedback, at least for me, often suggests that how I am now is not not actually totally okay <laughs> right. with the people around me. They want some upgrades to my personality. And, and it hurts when... And it creates a kind of internal noise when you're having that kind of emotional experience. Completely, completely. So I think feedback also is among the most painful experiences in our lives. Um, but what's, it, what's now interesting to add to that is that I think that when I look back on the things, the most important things I've learned in life so far, they often come out of some of my most painful experiences. Oh, without right? a doubt. Without it, so, so the question for me with this work about receiving figuring out why it's so hard for us to receive feedback um, is really figuring out how do we better understand that pain so that I can just get to the learning a little bit faster um, and so that I can open up the conversations with other people in my life so that we can put things on the table and and learn as we go Um, and just whether it's working better together and adapting and you know as we work on a project 
um, or live more peacefully together in the same house. (laughs) Well, I have to say, one of the things that I saw clearly in the book was had I read it 20 years ago, my marriage might have turned out differently. Oh, God. I'm sorry it took us so long. (laughs) You know, but you're there in time for a lot of other people. And it was really because you described a dynamic that um, I'm embarrassed to have been part of, but I've also seen in almost every corner of life. And it's where two people are attempting to talk with each other, but they're not. They're not hearing each other. And it's like they're having two separate conversations. Yeah. Yeah, so this is one of the most common patterns with feedback, particularly in relationships, working relationships or marriages or um, siblings, whatever, um, which is often we both realize there's a problem, um, but I think you need to change. I have some feedback for you on why (laughs) what you're doing is what's making this difficult um, and why you're so impossible. And you, for inexplicable reasons, think that I need to change. And so what happens is that um, we talk past each other or you offer me feedback and then my reaction changes the subject to how you gave me the feedback. So, for instance, my um, my son, who's a teenager, we went through this cycle where I was writing about this in the book. It's what we call switch track conversations mm-hmm. where one person changes tracks or changes topics and, and we don't even realize that we're on two different tracks. Um, so I would come to pick up my son after practice, after school, and periodically I would be late and he would get in the car and say, you're late. And I would look at him and say, don't talk to me that way. And we had that argument multiple times over the course of three or four weeks while I'm writing this chapter of the book (laughs) before I realized, oh, I'm changing the subject. In other words, I'm giving him feedback about how he's talking to me. He's giving me feedback about the fact that I'm late and it's upsetting to him. And and and, and so topics, me, I mean my topic is more important <laughs> clearly. But, but part of the trick is just understanding actually we have at least two topics on the table. Right. And your topic seems like it's triggered by the insult, the disrespect that you heard in his statement to you. It yeah. made you you felt bad based on what he said. Yeah, so often the way that we switch track um, is that I have a triggered reaction to how you told me, when you told me, why I suspect you told me, because you're just jealous or controlling or, you know, um, threatened by me, uh, insecure. Right, Um, or in this case, maybe um, a a self-focused teenager. Yes, exactly, exactly. You think the world revolves around you. Um, so why? And then sometimes where? Like, really, you decide to bring that up over Thanksgiving dinner at my parents' house, <laughs> <Right>. honestly? <laughs> so so what's interesting is my reaction is actually about the, you know, how, when, where, and why you gave me the feedback, not about the feedback itself. Right. And so tell me how this conversation could have unfolded differently. So he gets in the car, and he's like, Mom, you're late. Right. So So here's... The thing, the trickiest part is noticing it. (laughs) (laughs) Once I notice it, it's actually really easy to do what we call signposting, which is just like put a stake in the ground and say, hey, by the way, here's a point where we actually have two topics. There are two directions we could go with this. So, um, yeah, you're right. I am late. Um, 
like we should talk about that because that's valid and it sounds like you know you were standing outside in the cold for a while or talk to me about it you know yeah i've got a lot of homework etc cetera, etc cetera. and then we should also by the way talk about the fact that i feel a little underappreciated and also not totally happy with how you're talking to me so that's a second topic that we can do them in whatever order but we do do need to talk about each of them and be explicit as you're having that that in the moment reaction. So yeah, it can feel awkward, but part of what helps makes it work is that it's awkward. It's basically saying, okay, so it sounds like we have two things to talk about. One is, you know, whether your sales figures are um, what I was hoping they would be, and a second is why I had to bring this up on Friday afternoon, <laughs> which is fair enough. So um, you have a very funny example in the book from a sitcom. So Louis comes home. It's, it's supposed to be a romantic weekend. He brings roses to his wife, um, and his wife apparently hates roses and has told him so. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she says, you know, hey, can I give you some feedback? You know, I, I don't – if you're going to give me a gift – and we're going to be married for the next 30 years, and you're going to be giving me gifts. Like, I don't like red roses. Um, so don't give me red roses. And he, he, there's sort of this pause, and then he reacts to saying, okay, can I, can I critique how you told me that? <laughs> <laughs> I think you should have thanked me for the flowers first and then said the thing about the roses. And, of course, it escalates into this huge fight where she says, her reaction is, well, I've told you I don't like roses in the past, remember? And he says, yeah, but I just think you should, like, when someone gives you a gift, you should thank them first. And they continue to just, it escalates while they're each talking about a different topic. Her topic is, do you ever listen to me, including right now in this conversation? <laughs> right. She hears the whole conversation through the lens of her own topic. And his topic is whether he feels appreciated. And he hears the entire conversation through the lens of his topic, like, see, I give you red roses, and even now you can't appreciate me. Well, I'm telling you, I want you to appreciate me. So... I don't, I mean, I think everybody who has ever been married has had that fight in some form. <laughs> yes. And it's also, but it gets to kind of these core emotional needs that yeah. come up in these interactions that are so big that we almost don't see them. Like they're, they're it's more than the elephant, like they, they're filling, they're, they're so all around us that we can't even see our way through them. She doesn't feel heard. Yeah. And he doesn't feel appreciated. Yeah. And those are kind of fundamental needs that we need to get met by our partners. And ironically, um, he is trying to communicate that he loves her and does something nice, despite the fact that it reflects that he hasn't been paying attention. Yeah. And, and this is something I think it's a nice observation because so often it's the case that on the surface of the conversation, the feedback is about flowers mm -hmm. and the color and kind of the flowers but really what they're fighting about is how they each feel treated um, and so it, the feedback isn't really about flowers right the flowers are, have become a proxy for these deeper things right you don't take out the trash therefore what and so when two people are in the midst of this kind of polarized discussion, I say A, you say B, I say A, you say B, you could just ping pong like that. How do you break out of it? Well, again, the hardest thing is noticing, but in the, you don't have to sign post at the very beginning because often we don't catch it until it's escalating. But in the midst of the escalation, being able to step back and say, okay, we're totally talking past each other. It sounds like 
you feel like this is about listening. I'm feeling totally unappreciated. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Like, just see if you can name what topic each of us is talking about. Um, And what's interesting is that actually can bring clarity to why it's escalating. And it invites the other person to kind of figure it out together. I'm talking with Sheila Heen, who is the author of Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well, even when it's off base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you're not in the mood. If you would like to learn a better way to communicate with your partner or your coworker, give us a call. You can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And Sheila and I will be happy to see what we can do to help you out because these are difficult conversations to have. Um, so, Sheila, when we think about the this dynamic of um, I say A and you say B. We know that in romantic relationships, we, you know, hopefully are on equal footing. And so we can unleash ourselves rather fully. But in the workplace, we're rarely on equal f- footing and rarely that uninhibited. How do we navigate the those kinds of conversations when we're not hearing each other in a professional setting? Well, it's a great question. And, and hierarchy actually introduces some really interesting dynamics. Um, One is that the more senior you get in an organization, the fewer and fewer people are going to be willing to offer you candid coaching or advice. Um, By the way, we talk about three kinds of feedback that are important. Appreciation, just like I see you, I get you, you matter, I notice what you do around here, which keeps us motivated. Um, Coaching, which is aimed to try to help me get better at something more efficient, more effective, more knowledgeable. Um, And then evaluation, which rates or ranks me, like how am I doing? Am I on track? Am I meeting expectations? Should I throw my hat in the ring for the promotion? Um, In hierarchy, the more senior you get, the people will be very appreciative of the time you took to stop by their office. So you might get a lot of appreciation, um, but you'll get very little candid coaching because people don't want to risk their relationship with you mm-hmm. to tell you the things that you're doing that are driving them crazy or are making it harder for them to do their job. So interestingly, leaders need kind of more advanced skills to elicit coaching from others. So um, one of the things that we suggest is that they not ask, hey, do you have any feedback for me, which is just a way too complicated and unclear question to answer, like how, how honest am I supposed to be and about what? Right. <laughs> but instead, they just go informally to a couple people, you know, every couple weeks, whatever the right pace is, and just say, hey, what's one thing that if I changed it, you think it would make a difference? And put it in whatever context, you know, make a difference in our weekly meeting, or what's one thing that if I changed it, you think would really help on this project? I get asked that question often by my um, colleagues who um, really have a deep growth mindset, and they're yeah. always interested in learning. Um, but I find it hard on the spot to come up with one thing, especially when it's somebody who's more senior to me. Yeah, I think the question, when you're the subordinate and you are asked that question, you're still wondering how honest the person is supposed <laughs> <Right>. to be. <laughs> are you have, and, and by the way, are you... Not sure what to say because you don't have a list of things in your head or you feel like you have to 
pick among them the most important one, or you're, you know some of them would be more upsetting than others? Okay, well, I'll give you a few examples. Okay. So I've had the experience of, because I have the um, amazing gift of working with truly extraordinary people. So sometimes I'm just so blown away by what they did. It was so good that I'm yeah. still processing what I learned, and I'm not really critical. Yeah. Um, and it sounds almost insincere and like I'm fawning if I'm like, no, 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 it really was great. Um, then there's the other end of the spectrum where, you know, the content's brilliant, everybody learned, but the jokes were really bad. Yeah. And yeah. how do you tell this, you know, senior professor that the jokes are just awful? You want to name names here on here? <laughs> Please no. <laughs> um, well, so those are really interesting, very different diagnoses for why you don't have an answer on the spot. I don't think, by the way, you have to have an answer on the spot. I think it's totally fine to say, and better to be transparent, to say, you know, I'm actually still just processing all of the things that I was kind of blown away by or that I wasn't expecting um, that really went well. And I need to, I need a little bit of time to think about, is there anything that I would suggest that we change? And I think that's totally fine to say. And to ask for the time to process it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I will um, share another instance that I think went well. And so if you could help me kind of deconstruct it so we could learn from it, so I could maybe do it again on purpose, that would be great. Um, so I was with a faculty member who had given a talk. Um, he had asked me for feedback. I didn't have anything on the spot. I said, but there were ideas that I want to talk to you about. There were some things that you brought up I found really fascinating. I wish we could develop X, Y, and Z more. And it led to a really productive conversation, sparked new work for us, um, and also gave me a way to suggest in future discussions um, that we go more in that direction. So the meaning that I took behind this was that when I was asked for feedback, what's one thing I could change, that was going back to like art school criticism, what was mm -hmm. wrong, what mm -hmm. should be improved. Yet still, there were things that I observed that I wanted to see developed, explored, maybe build on in a future talk for a different audience. That's still feedback, right? Oh, it's still feedback, absolutely, because it's coaching. Okay. Right? It's, it's saying you know, boy, you left me so intrigued. I wanted to learn more. I wonder whether next time there would be space to expand upon this or talk to me. Talk to me about what you might do or help me understand where you would go with this. So I would actually um, take that example and maybe apply it to the bad joke situation. Okay, tell me more. Because one of the things that's great about what you did in the first case of like, boy, there were things I wanted to know more about, let me ask you some questions, was you were saying, I really appreciated the good outcome, really interesting, positive outcome, like, let's go there together. So you're saying to the leader, I like what you're trying to do, um, or where you're going. Now go back to the jokes. I wonder if there's a way to say, you know, one of the things I really appreciated was that I thought you were trying to use humor to put people at ease or to lighten it up, I'm not sure it accomplished that, but I want to hear more about, you know, what you were thinking and how you felt it went over, and then maybe we can think together about whether there are other ways to accomplish it, because I saw a couple of reactions that I am guessing were not what you were hoping for, or whatever. It depends on how egregious and obvious it was, right? 
So you're appreciating their intention um, and, and making it a two-way conversation that's, about that. That's a critical thing that I'm picking up in how you're talking about it, is that it's not just a, here's your report card, but in it you said that idea of what you were trying what was your goal with the jokes or what were you trying to accomplish yeah. there in giving feedback? You're actually asking questions. You're not just reporting back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can ha- fill out a little report card and give them an F for humor <laughs> or maybe good taste, um, but it's probably not going to go over well. But if you instead, and, and I think the language of appreciating their intention or purpose or just asking them to confirm, was this what you were trying to do, or talk to me about what you were hoping to accomplish, and then observing that it may or may not have had the impact they were hoping for, but I like the impact you were hoping for, so let's let's talk together about how we could better have that impact, so, or if I can help you to have that impact. So it also sounds like a big part of what needs to get constructed is that it's a dialogue that goes back and forth. It's a dialogue that goes back and forth. And, and you know, you mentioned grades. Um, this work on receiving feedback has really changed the way that we talk about grades at my house when report cards coming come home. And I think before report cards would come home and we would talk about why this grade is not a match with your potential, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then my son would try to persuade me that a C was an average grade, so that my evaluation <laughs> about the, the seriousness of the problem was off base, and we'd have that argument. Now what happens um, is actually we look at the grade and say, um, okay, what is this grade, which is evaluation, what is it telling you that you want to change about how you're approaching math, let's say? Okay, so report cards are due in our home tonight. Oh, good. <laughs> so this is very timely. Um, so what are you learning from your grades and what you need to do to get the grade that you think you should be earning? Yeah, or, or what I'm asking them to do is to do some self-coaching, which is what's this grade telling you that ah. you want to change okay. about how you're approaching math? And, you know, my son will say, well, I think I should study more. And I'll say, okay, so what does that mean? Like, let's let's get specific. Is it spend more time studying? Is it start earlier? Is it change how you're studying? And so I'm really, in this case, I'm sort of facilitating them thinking through what they want to coach themselves to change in order to earn the grade that they think they should get. And so in other words, that he learns to use his grade as information to help him improve as opposed to a statement on his value. Yeah, I'm trying to help him hear evaluation in particular um, or judgment in particular not I'm, I'm want him to hear it as input but not imprint ah. and I, I think that's important for grades you know like did I fail at this or not and experience in life and bullying right so okay what the names I got called today or things that were posted on Twitter about me are input they're not who I am are they telling me anything useful about who I am or not? Is it saying more about what somebody else, what's going on with somebody else so that I don't have to let it define me? And that's, I mean, 
for goodness sakes, it's never been more important in the climate that we're in at the moment. Without a doubt. So we're going to talk more about this when we come back from our break. We're talking with Sheila Heen, author of Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well, here on Women at Work. Give us a call, one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Laura Zarrow. Welcome back to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how we can help women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm Laura Zarrow, Senior Director of Wharton People Analytics, and your host for today's show on feedback, how we give it, how we get it, and how we can really use it to help ourselves be better, better at work, better at home, and even have a better relationship with ourselves as we go through life. Um, Guiding us in this process is the extraordinary Sheila Heen. Sheila is the author of Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. She's also the author, along with Doug Stone, of Difficult Conversations, a longstanding lecturer at Harvard Law School, um, and an expert on negotiation, having spent more than 20 years with the Harvard Negotiation Project. So, Sheila, welcome back to Women at Work. Well, thank you. So in the first half hour, when we were talking about switch tracking, the way that when we're having a conversation with somebody else where we start by giving feedback, they hear it differently than it's intended, they react to the way it's making them feel, and so Mm -hmm. then we're off to the races with two different conversations. Yeah. Um, Somewhere embedded in that are feelings of self-worth. And in the book, you talk at length about identity triggers and distortions. Could you help explain some of that to us? Yeah. Well, so probably I should say something about our triggered reactions, because one of the interesting things we found is that um, as human beings, when we get feedback, direct or indirect, um, but we understand, oh, this is something somebody else thinks about me or thinks I should change about me. We have three kinds of triggered reactions. Um, the first is what we call truth triggers, and that's all about my assessment of is this true or not? Is it good or bad advice? Would it work? Do they understand me? Is it fair? It's it's me evaluating the validity of the feedback itself. Okay. Um, the second are what we call relationship triggers, and that has everything to do with um, who gave us the feedback because feedback always lives in a relationship between giver and receiver, and I will often have a bigger reaction to the the who than the what. Like, Mm -hmm. really? You're the one who's going to tell this to me? (laughs) You're worse at this than me, and I don't even like you. Um, And relationship triggers are one reason why your best friend can tell you things that nobody else can, but it's also sometimes why we, we can't hear things from the people closest to us. Like, my spouse sometimes has feedback for me, believe it or not. I don't think of it as feedback. I just think of it as him complaining. (laughs) But like an acquaintance could say the same thing to me and I would actually, it would get through and I would hear it in a different way. Um, It maybe feels less threatening from them. Or is it that there's, um, it's a different dynamic. Like with your best friends, that's your safe place. Yeah. And um, that yet you're not usually involved in as intimate a relationship with them, where over life, there's a bit of a tug of war of getting needs met sometimes that you may not have with your best friend. Yeah, that you may not have with your best friend. And often when it's your spouse, it's like, no, 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 you're complaining about something about me, but the real problem here is you. It's that (laughs) push and pull. It's not that I'm being, you know, anal about picking up the house. It's that you're a slob. 
So we have that, like, I'm not the problem, you're the problem reaction. Right. So it's both, it's not only who the source is, but what's the nature of our relationship with that source. Yeah, exactly. And then the the third kind of trigger, which is the one that that you were just raising, is what we call identity triggers. And this has everything to do with the story we tell about who we are, as well as our particular um, wiring and sensitivity to feedback. In in the course of researching this book, what we found is is some evidence that suggests that individual sensitivity to feedback, and by that we mean how upset do you get and how long does it take you to recover, or if it's positive feedback, um, you know, how happy does that make you and how long do you sustain that positive feeling before you kind of come back to your normal everyday baseline. Um, um, so the individuals can vary by up to 3,000%. Oh, my God. So, in other words, the way that the same comment would affect Patty could be wildly different than the way it might affect me. Yeah, and if Patty is is a teammate, let's say, and we both get feedback from a client or a boss, um, you know, Patty's incredibly upset about it. I think she's just overreacting, right? Like, you got to get a thicker skin. You can't take it so personally. And this doesn't help Patty, right? Now I'm right. giving her feedback about how she takes feedback. Right, so she's feeling doubly bad. Right, she's feeling doubly bad. And by the way, she thinks I'm oblivious So, and don't really understand how serious the problem is. So part of the challenge around feedback is understanding your own profile. It's not better to be undersensitive than it is to be oversensitive. It's maybe a little bit easier, but what happens Um, Because if you're highly sensitive, even small pieces of feedback can be very upsetting. But if you can understand your own profile, you can understand the ways in which you can supersize the feedback Mm -hmm. and it grows beyond actual size and then find ways to dismantle those distortions to see the feedback at actual size so that you can learn from it. If you're undersensitive to feedback, the challenge is that you don't even understand sometimes that people are giving you feedback. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it it you're, it rolls off your back so easily that it really didn't even make contact. It didn't make contact or, you know, people will say it very indirectly. They'll say, you know, Patty does it this way. And I'm like, yeah, good for Patty. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even understand that there's a message for me about it. <laughs> okay. So that brings up this complicated issue of how do we decode what we're hearing so that we can put it to good use well, that's and a, ease the pain. Yeah. yeah well, and ease the pain. Yeah. So, um, That, I think, is one of the more interesting things about being a skilled receiver. Um, One one is it's a very active process, actually, because our temptation is to think, you know, I really hope some great mentor shows up in my life who gives me feedback well, but in the meantime, my life is full of all of these people who are terrible at it. Um, But actually, you can take charge of your own learning and figure out how to learn even from people who aren't very good at giving you feedback or don't have a whole lot of time for it. Um, but that means that you are have to be pretty active to figure out what they're trying to tell you and also to see yourself accurately. So, um, you know, when they when you say, is there one thing that you think I might change? Or your boss comes and says, you know, I'd love to see you be more proactive. The temptation is to say, like, uh, okay, and then walk away and think, I don't have any idea what that means. Um, if instead you can say, okay, so that's interesting. Were there times when, say more about what you mean. Were there times you expected me to be proactive or to 
anticipate something that I didn't. So you're asking questions either looking backward, like they're telling you this for some reason, there's something they observed or expected that didn't happen, or looking forward, asking questions about, so if I were more proactive, what would change? Help me understand what specifically, if I took your advice, I would do differently. And in that process of just understanding the feedback, I don't have to decide whether I agree with it or not. That's one of the keys. Because often we think, I have to decide right now in this conversation whether I accept it or I reject it. I, when actually just suspend judgment for a moment and first understand it. It also seems that if we can suspend judgment and work on understanding, it also prevents us going to point-counterpoint and going on defensive attack. Yeah, and debating the feedback, right? right? And exploring is very different than debating. Absolutely. And I think it's totally fine to say, wow, that kind of comes out of nowhere and is a little confusing um, because I have been working on being proactive and, and it's a little upsetting to hear that you still feel like I'm not being proactive. So just help me understand that. I think it's totally fine to be upfront mm-hmm. with feeling confused or disappointed or upset but you're not saying, therefore, it's wrong. Okay. You're saying, so I'm, I can share what I think I've been doing, but I want to first understand what you see and what you're suggesting. So it, and that's not just about a tool to help ease the conversation. It's about bringing a curiosity to it so that you can find the, 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 the teachable moment in there. Yeah, I think that that's right. And curiosity can be really hard to find when we feel attacked. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm curious why you feel you need to attack me. Right. Um, <laughs> but if I actually take my identity off the table, so it's not imprint, you don't get to decide who I am. I still get to decide. That actually sometimes gives me the space to be curious. Like, huh, I don't think I agree with that, but but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something here that I'm not seeing that actually gives me the space. I retain the right to decide for myself later what I think. Um, and that gives me the space for some curiosity sometimes. And also, so part of it is about decoding what's caused the comment. And then there's the question about what would it mean to fix this going forward, which can also help illuminate the issues behind it. Yeah, when I'm feeling particularly defensive, I find that asking the forward-looking question first sometimes helps. Because if I ask the backward-looking question, I may be tempted to get into a debate about whether what they think happened happened. Mm-hmm. But if instead I just say, okay, so what is it that you would want me to do differently next time? Sometimes their answer to that question illuminates really quickly that I misunderstood what they meant. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm totally fine doing that. Okay. Or it will illuminate that, okay, so hold on. I, that's what I thought I did last time. But but sounds like it didn't get through or sounds like it wasn't effective. But it will get us to the heart of what the misunderstanding might be. So along the lines of misunderstanding, I want to ask about the flip side of that equation. When um, what's being said, we're understanding differently because of what we bring to it. I'll give you an example. Let's say um, two colleagues are in a room and their supervisor comes in and says, this is... uh, I know you've been working on it. This is a big problem. We really need a creative solution here. Employee A says, I thought I gave you a creative solution. Are you bashing what I gave you? Employee B says, I'm the creative problem solver. I'm your gal. I got it. And they make very different meaning. One seems like an invitation to be creative, and one is condemnation of the work done so far. Mm-hmm. 
Um, as an employer, how do you navigate that? Yeah, you're you're pointing out that often as an employer or as a a giver of feedback, whoever you are, you intend it as one kind of feedback and it's heard as something else. So you might even intend that as appreciation, like you're my creative go-to person. That's why I'm coming to you. And they hear it as, oh, so you didn't think I was creative so far? Like it's a judgment or evaluation. Or we mean it as coaching, like, hey, here's here's one thing I might change, and they hear it as evaluation, which is, you know, it's it wasn't so good. Um, so it wasn't is, really up to snuff. So how much of this is, you know, our own Michigas inside and the stuff we struggle with on a day-to-day basis, and how much of it is about how we present information that we want people to absorb? Um, you know, in any individual exchange, as impartial judges, we might call it differently. <laughs> <laughs> we might say, uh, actually, this is pretty much 90% you in this case. <laughs> right. and in other cases, oh, no, 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 this is 95% them. Like, they, they delivered that terribly. It was totally off-base and unfair and poorly delivered. So, um, so I think it depends um, day to day, and that's why pulling it apart is so challenging, but also such a joint endeavor. And so important. In the book, one of the things I loved was there's a section where you said thoughts plus feelings equals story. Could you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, we tell ourselves stories about what's going on, and that influences our feelings about the feedback we're getting as well. And what's interesting is that if, if you think about it that way, you can kind of pull apart the thought and the feeling. So, for instance, um, uh, you know, my son, I ask him, how'd the meat go? He's a Nordic ski racer. Um, And he hears, well, did you do as well as mom thinks you should have done? Ah. Right? Which is not actually what I mean. I, so this is partly the misinformation between giver and receiver. So I might mean, I usually mean, were you happy? Right. Was it painful? I mean, cross-country Nordic ski racing, you can have a bad day where the whole thing is incredibly painful, or you can have a great day. Right. And it could be as simple as, what's the news? What happened? What happened? You know, did you eat your snack on the way? I don't even necessarily care about the results, or maybe I do care about the results. Now you go to his side of that equation, and his side is further complicated by the fact that he... He has thoughts about what happened, but then he has feelings added to that, which then turn into a whole big story. So I came in, you know, 41st um, in the field is a thought. It is a report on what happened, but he has a story with feelings layered onto that, which, which was disappointing or which was encouraging or, you know, I did or didn't beat what I had hoped to beat and I let myself down. And so we add on to that our, our emotional reactions and then our story about what it says about us, what it predicts for us. Like, I'm never really going to be a good ski racer. You know, I should have given up this sport a long time ago. My coach was disappointed. You know, I'm even more disappointed, whatever it would be. And so part of the 
the trick in just pulling apart your own story is separating, okay, what is the actual feedback? And then what am I adding to it with my own self story and emotional reaction to what happened? And by the way, sometimes that's mine. And sometimes I got it from the critics in my life. You know, it's my mother's voice oh. for some people saying, <laughs> you know, really, again, you, you know, this is your big problem in our heads. And so part of the question is, can I let go of that part? So in other words, old habits, old patterns, our self-loathing, our self-flagellation um, that comes from way back can emerge because we're get, the feedback's triggering a feeling that bring, that's familiar. But it really has nothing to do with the content that's in front of us. Yeah, I think that that's right. And, and you're raising something that actually we don't talk about until Chapter 10, but um, which is when to say no to feedback and when to create boundaries around feedback. Um, I, you know, some people may want to turn straight to chapter 10. <laughs> because <laughs> it, it, you have it, it, someone it, in your life who is just a constant source of criticism and appraisal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they think of it as coaching. You think of it as interfering um, and meddling and criticizing. And I think that if that is undermining your sense of self and if it's starting to become part of your self voice, you know, self-talk and mm -hmm. self-loathing, it's a healthy choice to create a boundary and to say, you know what, I need you to keep your thoughts to yourself. So it, not all feedback needs to be accepted, particularly if it's in a pattern that is abusive, unproductive, or hurtful. Oh, absolutely. And I am so glad you asked that question because getting good at receiving feedback doesn't actually obligate you to take the feedback. It means you're really good at looking for what might be valuable in it, handling the conversation well in your relationship, and then making good decisions for yourself, including a decision to say, you know what, this is not my biggest problem, or this is, you know, I've got so many other things I need to change first, or, you know, this is not who I want to be. So I am not going to listen to my fill-in-the-blank father's right. agenda for my life. Right. And or my I'm abusive colleague. Him. Or my abusive colleague. And I'm going to actually um, create some boundaries to protect myself, which is actually a healthy choice. And in Chapter 10, we talk about different kinds of boundaries and how to, um, how to talk about them. The wise and um, illuminating person we're talking with is Sheila Heen. She's the author of Thanks for the Feedback, the Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. Um, if you'd like to ask Sheila a question, you can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can also write to us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com, which our beloved Julie from Cinnaminson just did. So Sheila, Julie asks, when a job applicant at, um, that you don't choose asks you to give them the reasons why they were not selected. How do you suggest it be handled? Um, well, can I ask some follow-up questions? You may or may not know the answers. I may not, but I'll play along as if I do. We'll create okay. a hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is interesting because we were just having this conversation last week um, on the applicant's side of it because a friend had applied for a job and asked for feedback about why they didn't get it. And they were told that the company policy was not to offer feedback, and I think probably for legal reasons. Mm -hmm. So if you can get feedback, and often if you're applying for a grant or you're you know, a competitive RFP these days, you can get feedback about why you weren't selected, let's say, as a vendor by a client, which is a parallel situation. Mm -hmm. um, 
it can be really helpful because it just helps you understand the criteria they were using. Right. So now, you know, Julie is asking about being on the flip side of that, which as the potential giver. Um, and I think the question would be, is there a purpose in sharing the feedback with this person? Um, you know, if the feedback is, you know, we really liked your application, we wanted to see a little bit more experience in this area, or we weren't sure whether um, how you would handle mistakes um, and our question about mistakes um, you answered by talking about your strengths again. Um, and so that may or may not have been fair, but it was something that tipped the balance. I think if you have things that you think would be useful to share with them because it's something they could work on or change, mm -hmm. then it, it's a generous thing to do, um, even if it may not be easy. If it's something that they can't change so easily, um, then you would think about whether there is a purpose. Right. And I, I also think the legal question is an important one because, yeah. you know, everybody's concerned. And it also raises a question that in people analytics we think about a lot, which are how do you make judgments about hiring? What's the criteria you're using? Is it fair? Is it even-handed? Is um, it actually effective? And there is the risk that when you reveal it to the applicant who has a vested interest in the outcome of those questions, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it can really open up Pandora's box. On the other hand, if perhaps the way to phrase it, if you're the one who's seeking the information is, could you tell me one thing that could have been better in my presentation? Um, that might enable the reviewer to give you useful feedback without it being in that complicated place of the employment question. Yeah, that's a really good point. And um, in addition, I actually know a couple of people who were not put on a particular project team and w they weren't selected for that team, which was a highly desirable team, who then went to talk to the, you know, it wasn't their boss, but the person who did the selection um, to say, hey, what was I missing? And, and talk to me about how you selected just so I can know how to be more competitive next time. And they handled that conversation so well that the person changed their mind and put them on the team. Oh, wow. <laughs> the person was like, you know what? This has been such an interesting and rich conversation about what the project really needs and, and what that. And I've learned a bunch and you've handled it so well that actually I, I would love to have you on the team. <laughs> <laughs> Which also reinforces that in the interview process, every minute can have an impact. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And, and actually, it's so refreshing to work with someone who, whatever the issue is, if you put it on the table, let's just talk about it and see if we can solve it. So becoming a better receiver and making it easier for other people to offer you those thoughts or concerns means that you are going to be so sought after um, because it's just a relief to work with people who are so open and comfortable with themselves to be able to make that all discussable. Right, because it also suggests that you have a growth mindset. You yeah. really are committed to learning and growing and improving and view feedback as part of that process. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, Carol Dweck's work around fixed mindset and growth mindset is a big piece of the foundation underlying um, sort of what we've learned about this as well. And so one of the things that um, I think we can thank her for is the understanding of the importance of praising effort, not innate abilities. I appreciate not how smart you are, but how hard you worked on something. Yeah. On the flip side, can you give any advice? I know in the book you had kind of three things to remember to help 
us make emotional room for feedback when it's hard about that we all make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, gosh, what were the things? <laughs> I know. I have all my notes in front of me. It's like a quiz. <laughs> um, better go back and reread the book. Um, I mean, yeah, I think part of the trap that we can get into is thinking I'm not supposed to fall short of perfect. I'm not supposed to make mistakes. Um, but we we all make mistakes. We all overlook things that we could have done. There's always something more you could have done or um, something that you could have learned. And um, you're not done learning at any point. Um, and just that kind of mindset can help. And you will have things that contribute to problems in your relationships or on projects. So the fact that there's something people wish you would do differently does not mean that you're a bad person. Um, and I, I think those are a couple of things to keep in mind to just hold your own identity and your own story a little bit more realistically. It's not black and white. It's a lot of gray. Absolutely. That really, um, none of us are perfect. We don't expect each other to be perfect. But that if we can be open to learning, that's when the real growth begins. Yeah. And, and that's what people care about most is, hey, could we get it better next time? They don't actually expect perfection the first time out of the gate in most cases. Well, Sheila, I really hope we get to try and make it even better next time that you'll join us again on Women at Work. It's been a joy to have you here today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. I'd also, of course, like to thank Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Danielle Bruno, our production assistant, Allie Freed. Our schedule of replays can be found on the SiriusXM website. Join us next week when we'll be talking about reproductive rights and their economic and professional impact on women and the workforce at large. Thanks so much for listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on SiriusXM 111. I'm Laura Zarrow, and go out there with an open mind and grow. 